Well, we have come to a momentous moment here at Christ Community Church. We, this is our last sermon in the book of Colossians. You're not going to know what to do when you come next week, and it's not in the book of Colossians. But here we are in chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. And we'll wrap this great letter up that Paul had written to this little town outside of Ephesus in what's now known as Turkey or Asia Minor, and uh, a church that he never he never visited. He proclaimed the gospel to a guy named Epaphras, and then Epaphras went back to his hometown, which was Colossae, and then brought the message of the gospel to his family and his friends. A church began, and then Paul wrote this letter. So let's stand together as we read, beginning in chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus, which will tell you about my activities, he is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, and I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is also called Justice, these are, only, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always struggling on behalf on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nymphia and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Erechippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. I want to set up this uh, brief little two-minute video. Uh, Many of you have seen or heard of a guy named Felix Bumgardner. Felix Bumgardner was uh, the person who broke the skydiving record, and he took a helium balloon 24 miles up nearly into space. It was so far up, he went up in a little capsule, and then he just jumped off the little platform 24 miles up. The descent took 10 minutes. 
and his body reached uh, speeds in excess of 800 miles per hour. It's just hard to imagine. And in the video, what you're going to hear is just uh, one team member on the ground going through a final checklist. And I think you hear the number 34, 35 or something. And they're just trying to get all the final things sort of tied up or tied down or disengaged. And then he stands up on the platform. He's 25 miles above the earth. And he just leans off the platform. And right before he leaves, you'll hear a bit of it. It's hard to pick up in the, in the uh, video. He says, all right now, the whole world is watching. I wish you could see what I can see. Sometimes you have to get up really high to understand how small you are. He salutes and he says, I'm coming home now. Okay, here we go. Item 34, disconnect chest pack umbilical. Okay, uh, do you read me, Felix, on the communications? Uh, Felix, give me a short count. Okay, snow umbilical. Disconnect both oxygen supply hoses. Okay, are they disconnected? Give me a thumbs up if they're disconnected. I don't, they're still connected. Felix, disconnect the oxygen hose. Atta boy. Alright, stand up on the exterior step. Keep your head down. Release the helmet tie down strap. Start the cameras. And our guardian angel will take care of you. See that I just want to hold the ground. I just want to fall on the ground. We'll dismiss the K2 now. If you're a follower of Christ, then then you're on your way home. You're going home now. And today We are on this very tiny little platform. We're in this little capsule that's called Earth. It seems big. It seems giant to us. It's our whole life at times. But but compared to eternity, compared to the Lord, it's it's just a tiny little platform. And and one day, everyone's going to step off that tiny little platform, and they're going to fall into eternity. Everybody will. And my hope is 
that you will fall into the everlasting, grace-filled arms of Jesus Christ. That's my hope. In some sense, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this small church in Colossae as a kind of final checklist. He's in prison. He's sending this letter back to this small town. And he wants to make sure they, they, they get out of the capsule, they get off this world, and they fall into the everlasting arms of Christ. He, he's this sort of grandfather figure. He's given the gospel to Epaphras, and Epaphras has given it to him, and, and he knows his days are short. And so he's writing this letter with, I think, a kind of sense of urgency to, to make sure you understand, you know, the gospel. And then you have this checklist that's going to actually get you all the way back home. And if you would sort of just look with me of this, some of just some of the items that we've gone through. Item number one, chapter one, verse four, faith. Let's just make sure you have faith attached. Faith is like a telescope that causes us to set our minds on a distant horizon. Faith helps us understand that this world is just a tiny capsule. It's just a tiny platform. And by faith, we look ahead and we look ahead to a, a distant world, a distant horizon. And, it, and faith helps keep our eyes on our true home. Item number two, chapter one, verse 13 and following. You need Jesus. He's the one who's uniquely qualified to deliver people out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of God. He is the one who reconciles all things to God. Item number three, chapter two, verse eight. Beware or see to it, Paul writes. Beware because as you stand on this platform, it's, it's easy to be captured by the cords of the world. It's easy to stay connected and feel like those things are the things that are really giving you life. The world's philosophy, hollow arguments, human traditions, Old Testament shadows, worship of angels, visions. See, there's all kinds of chords. You're standing on that on that platform and it seems so safe here in this capsule. How can I lean off over this edge? And there's all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of spiritualities, all kinds of people and traditions and visions and angels. They're all trying to keep you captive. And not just hold on to the one thing by faith, who is Jesus. Item number four. Chapter 3, verse 5, you've got to disconnect. You've got to disconnect yourself from things of this world. Sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, anger, slander, obscene talk. There are all kinds of things that, that you used to use. We talked about this, this closet, that stuff that needs to go out, stuff that needs to come in. And so there's a, a need to disconnect. And then item number five, we're going to have this final checklist, which is in chapter four. And there's four things here at the very end that Paul mentions that I want to cover today. Prayer, wisdom, friends, and grace. So the Apostle Paul, the, the preacher Paul, I want you to got, I want all of you all to get back home. And, and these are just some of the things that the Apostle Paul is saying. These are the things you're going to need to get you back home. And let's look at those in turn. Number one, prayer. You notice Paul says this 
continue steadfastly. And this wording just is, it's not a bad translation, but it just sounds so stiff. It sounds so proper. It sounds like something you say over a cup of tea. Now, continue steadfastly. And I don't think that's the tone at all for Paul. I think there's an an urgency. I think the tone is like a coach yelling at a player. He's he's not just saying continue continue steadfastly. He's he's yelling, saying, don't ever quit. Don't don't ever stop praying. Don't ever give up on prayer. In, In verse 12, you see, Paul talks about prayer as like a wrestling match. And in a high school wrestling match, you you wrestle for six total minutes, but you're completely exhausted because you're using all of your muscles all at the same time for the entire six minutes. And, And in a wrestling match on the mat are the two competitors, but the coach is just on the corner. And he's not saying, continue steadfastly. He's saying, don't quit, don't give up. I mean, I know you're exhausted. I know you're just about ready to get pinned. I know this guy's on top of you. Let's try to work to get on top of him. The coach is yelling. It's like he's wrestling with every every match. And Paul is like this coach. He's he's exhorting, he's he's encouraging, he's yelling to his group, hey, if you want to get all the way back home, just continue steadfastly. Do not quit in Prayer. Paul knows that the prayer is against rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world. Paul knows that prayer is exhausting work. It's why it's so easy to read about, so easy to talk about, and so difficult to do. Very easy to read a book on prayer. Very easy to get a plan for prayer. Very easy to talk about prayer. Very difficult to actually engage in prayer. Because you're locking arms with God. You're locking arms against these spiritual forces. And it's exhausting work. It's like a wrestling match. It's not something simple. And then Paul continues on in this same vein saying, be watchful. You notice that? Be alert. Stay awake. And, and immediately you think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on the small platform. He's just moments away from, from tipping over into eternity with back with God. And he needs somebody to help him. So he gets his three best friends, Peter, James, and John, and says, Hey, can you, can you continue steadfastly in prayer with me? Can you, can you be alert? Can you be watchful with and for me? And you remember the results? They're not encouraging. Here, here Jesus is asking you, would you pray for me? I mean, imagine that being a request made of you. Three different times he comes back and finds the disciples asleep. They weren't watchful. They weren't awake. They weren't aware. It's because it's very difficult work to do. I found myself just this week. I I have one chair in my office that's particularly comfortable, and I'll sit by it to sort of get out of my chair at my desk. And and this this particular morning, I think it was a Tuesday, I was reading my Bible, and then I finished, and I was going to spend time in prayer, and I was... And I was in a nice, comfortable place. Have you ever been there? And I had about 15 minutes. I was, I was going to pray. I meant to pray. 
And I just found myself, hey, if I don't get up, I'm going to go to sleep. And so I just I spent 15 minutes walking around my little office praying because I just realized if I sit here, I'm not going to be alert. I'm going to I'm going to fall asleep or I'm going to be always fighting falling asleep and never praying. And so I just stood up and walked around my office for 15 minutes making my prayer. Because I realized I wasn't going to be alert. And so you have to make yourself do things to say, hey, this is spiritual warfare. I've got to get myself in a place where I'm awake. But I don't think that's the only reason Paul is saying be aware, be watchful, or be alert. I think he's also talking about it in a, a different sense. This exhortation to watch is also referring to Satan's schemes. It's not just being awake so you can pray. It's being alert to temptations. Are, are, you, are, are you awake, not just physically, but are you awake to temptations? First Peter 5, Peter says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, Peter's imagery isn't accidental. It's not exaggerated. Hungry lions don't frighten people and wound people. They devour people. And we have an enemy that's like a hungry lion. It's ready to devour. And you know lions, very soft step. They can get very close to you and start devouring you before you even know that they're around. And I think about Peter, Peter's own experience, moments after he fell asleep in the garden, he finds himself at a campfire standing next to a 12-year-old girl who's asking questions about Peter's association with Jesus. And, hey, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you one of them? And Peter, three times, no, I don't know anything about this man named Jesus. You see, Peter, he's being devoured by the questions Of a 12 year old girl. And he doesn't even know it. It's not because he's not awake. He's not aware. He's not aware of the temptations that are around him. And and Satan walks up like a a soft footed lion. In the form of a 12 year old girl. And just devours Peter. And he's completely unaware until it's all over. And as your pastor. As your friend. One of one of my primary concerns for you is that that you might be getting devoured right now and you don't even know it. Not because you're not awake. You're not alert to the temptations of the world. Satan is standing right next to you, devouring you, and you just can't see it. So this morning, I'm not sitting with you having a cup of tea. I'm your coach, and I'm saying, don't give up. Keep going. Don't get tired. I know you're feeling like you're getting pinned right now. Keep going, keep going, keep going. This is how we get off the platform into Jesus. And if you don't, you get devoured. You get sucked back into the capsule of the world, and you think that's your whole life. And I'm here like the Apostle Paul saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't ever stop. Don't ever stop praying. Don't ever stop being alert. Don't ever stop being aware that Satan is like a lion ready to devour you. One thing that we have to have, 
one item on this final checklist is, is prayer. Prayer for ourselves, prayer for our souls. Second, wisdom. Paul specifically, you notice here, he specifically mentions wisdom in walking towards outsiders. So here you're left in this world, in this, this town of Colossae, it's buried in the Roman culture. Very pagan culture. And on top of that, this little town is a suburb town of, of the city of, of Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus has this big temple of Diana. And it's got this uh, idolatry and prostitution that, that just spills out, out of this major cities into the suburb cities like Colossae. And so here, here Colossae, this one, this little church plant in this home, it's buried in the world. It's buried in the culture. And Paul's saying, I need you to know you need to have wisdom in the way you walk towards outsiders. First, let me mention a couple of things. First, when, when Paul mentions wisdom, it's just worth noting he's, he's picking back up on a theme that he started in chapter 1, 1 verse 9. We have not ceased to pray for you. So Paul praying for this church, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom. So spiritual wisdom, it's, it's a critical, it's an important component. It's a, an important item on the checklist for Paul. Second, Paul specifically prays about wisdom in, in use of our time and our speech. So you're going to be walking with outsiders. You need to have wisdom there, and you specifically not need to know the wisdom in terms of your how to best use your time and how to best use your tongue. We know that our time is precious. Last summer, we spent the whole summer in the book of Ecclesiastes. Most of you will remember. Generations come. They crash on the beach like a wave. They sound big. They make a mark. They spread out. But they just as quickly recede, and another generation comes behind them. And you've just totally forgotten about that past generation. So the time, the time you and I have here. I mean, here I am at Christ Community Church. I've been the pastor for 13 years. I'm, I'm, I'm probably at least halfway through. And just, it just seems like that. So your time, your time with outsiders, your time with whoever's outside of the church those who are still caught in the cords of the world, is so brief. And Paul's saying, I want you to make the, the best use of your time. Second thing that I think is helpful here is, is not just our time, but our tongue. How we talk, how we live our lives. See, because people on the outside of Christianity are, are, aren't judging Really, just in terms of our religion, they're in judging in terms of our behavior. I mean, you can say what you want, but the people, people are noticing at work. People are noticing at your school. It's not primarily they're judging from the preaching from the pulpit, but, but the daily walk of the members of the church. Matthew 5, Jesus says to his disciples, let your light shine before all men. So that they could see your good works and glorify God. So people are walk, watching. He's, he's saying, hey, don't be like a, a candle that's hid, but be a candle that's on a hill. 
And, and you want that to shine out to, to whoever you might happen to be around. And they see your good works and they say, hey, God is real. And when people on the so my question for us is when when people on the outside, when our lives overlap this week, maybe tomorrow for many of you with people on the outside, are you making the best use of your time with them? Is, is how you walk out your life exemplary of what you say you believe? Third, let's remember that Paul's writing to this church buried in the in this pagan culture and he's trying to help them say understand you're going to need wisdom and how to walk in this culture i mean maybe it's easy to stay inside the church but we can't all stay here we have to go back out in the culture we're commanded to go out into all nations well how do you how do you live in a culture that's very hostile to christianity well it takes wisdom and and just Think with me how difficult this can be to discern. How do you walk with wisdom towards outsiders? Number one, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk, where? In the counsel of the wicked. So wisdom keeps you away from the wicked. It keeps you away from the worldly, obviously including outsiders. So you need wisdom to know how to keep away from these things. But then you turn to the New Testament, Luke chapter 7. You find the religious people who would have never been around a sinner. They look at Jesus, and this is what they say about Jesus. He's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of sinners. Now, in Psalm 1, I'm blessed if I do not walk with these people And in Luke 7, I find Jesus, he's the friend of these people. And how do you know how to navigate in a culture where you're not supposed to walk in it, but you're supposed to be friends in it? How do you do that? Wisdom. See, it's very difficult to navigate. It takes great wisdom to know, hey, I need to know when to walk away. And know when to walk in too. It's not always obvious. It's not always easy to know which one is the way. And so Paul understands that. And he's saying, you guys need wisdom. There's some very difficult choices out there for you. If you happen to be, let's say, a senior in high school, and you're graduating in next month, and you're going off to college, this is your parents' primary concern. I can tell you that. It's not your grades. It's not your major. And they may ask you about that. may even hound you about that. But I promise you, this is not their primary concern. Their primary concern is, do you have the wisdom to navigate being buried in a college culture? When you get out to UNCW or UNC or Duke or Wake Forest or NC State or or, uh, ECU or Cape Fear Community College or anywhere except Furman, you are buried in a (laughs) pagan culture. Kind of an inside joke, sorry. <laughs> and your parents are wondering, when, when you get buried in a dorm room, when you get buried in a classroom, when you get buried on a Friday night, are you going to have the wisdom to know when I need to walk away from this group and when I need to walk towards this group? That's their primary concern. That's Paul's primary concern. 
He knows these people cannot avoid the culture. The question is, how do you have the wisdom to know when to walk away and how to walk towards? That's his concern. Number three, third item on this checklist this morning as we stand on this tiny platform, friends. Over the course of Paul's career, he had this sort of vast ministry network. Starts in Jerusalem, goes to Antioch, which is his home church, then spreads into what we know as Turkey or Asia Minor. This is where the churches of Galatia are. This is where Colossae is. This is where Ephesus is. He, he meets people. He has a network. Then he moves over to Greece, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, all these letters, all these people he meets in these different places. And then he finally ends up in mainland Europe, in Italy, in Rome. So he's got this vast network of people along the way, just like you, along our lives, just different people come in. And he has just an enormous resource of great friends. And it's helpful because the Apostle Paul lived a very difficult life. His words, 2 Corinthians 11, I have been in prison and flogged. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been in danger from bandits, bandits, my own countrymen, and false brothers. I'm in danger in the city and in the country. I've often gone without sleep, I've known hunger and thirst, and often gone without food. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, now, every life has difficulties. Yours are going to be different than mine. Ours are going to be different than Paul's. But, but how do you get all the way back home if you don't have friends to help you? And Paul has this great, great network. And I just want to mention a couple of the character traits that you see. Tychicus and Onesimus. They are what Paul calls as faithful. So just think of these little categories of friends. I've got some friends that are faithful. In the Greek, it's they're stable, they're firm. You can always go back and say, they're going to keep me on the rock, who is Jesus. No matter how tumultuous my life gets, no matter how upside down it gets. I mean, imagine the Apostle Paul. He walks into a town, he heals somebody, and everybody wants to worship him as a god. Uh, Just try to imagine how intoxicating that might have been. A a few hours later, or maybe a day later, those same people stone Paul and drag him out of the city. So what does Paul need when somebody says you're a God and somebody says, hey, we're going to stone you and drag you out of the city? He needs a stable friend. See, because the world is just this turmoil. And in all this turmoil, Paul has a couple of friends who are like a rock. He he can always come back to these couple of guys, and he knows they're going to be faithful. They're, They're not going to be considering my circumstances. They're going to be considering Christ. They're always going to put me back in the right spot. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice... They all are comforting. You see that word? They bring comfort. It's a medical term. It means relief. The world gives you tons of headaches. And you need relief. 
Paul says, hey, when I'm getting all these headaches, when I have all this all these concerns about the church, I, I know I have this group of friends. They're always relieving. They're like medicine. I have a hurt. They come in and they they heal that hurt. Imagine having a friend like that. You just you come back to this person and you think oh, it's like a medicine cabinet. So helpful when I get around you. It's like you, if you have a bad headache and you get some aspirin, you just sit quietly in a chair and just maybe 30 minutes, an hour, you just feel it sort of draining out. And Paul says, that's what these friends are like. I have all these headaches, and when I get around them, it just it slowly absorb that pain out of my life and out of my mind. Epaphras, this third friend, he, he, he is the one who wrestles in prayer, this word, Wrestle means agonize. He, he's putting his whole heart, he's putting his whole energies into it, not just for the people of Colossae, but he's, he's praying for the Apostle Paul. And notice it says in verse 12, what's he, what's he praying for? So that you could stand. I mean, I'm 52. I don't know how hard it is to stand on that platform when you're just about ready to drop off. Of course, we don't know when that day is. But I, I don't know what you felt like, but when he just stood up out of that capsule, I was like, dude, get back in. That's what I wanted to say. Item number 36, crawl back in the capsule right now. But see, he had this voice, this friend that you heard, and, and he just I just imagine him being like Epaphras. I'm going to keep you up here because this isn't a home. And I hope you have somebody who's wrestling in prayer and they're just like standing behind you. They're going to keep you standing up, standing mature, standing forward, looking on the horizon, keeping your eyes of faith like a telescope on a different world, not this this world. And then one day together, there will with Christ take you off the platform. And you'll be home. I hope you have friends like this. I hope you are a friend like this to someone else. You're faithful. You're stable. You're like medicine. You pray you're going to make sure this person is going to get home. When I think about Mother's Day, faithfulness, Stability, comforting, relief, agonizing in prayer. Just seems like a a job description for moms, what they do. Final thing on the checklist, verse 18, last words. Grace. Grace be with you. See, the, 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 the one thing you have to have before you step off the platform is grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's it's a gift of God, not by works. See, God's grace gets you home. You don't. Every person here, every person everywhere, We'll salute.
and fall off the tiny platform of this world. And you'll quickly be gone. So my question back to the beginning is when you fall off that platform, are you falling into the eternal, everlasting, grace-filled arms of Jesus? Maybe something about the sermon has stirred something up, and so I'll be here, an elder will be here if you want somebody to pray for you. Please don't be afraid. Come forward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we stand here. Maybe it's a perfect moment because of this storm outside that's captured our attention. This, this driving rain, and we're inside this little ship like Noah. But one day we're going to, um, well, today we're all going to have to step back out into the storm. So help us to know how to pray for your people as they face that storm today, internal and external. And then one day we're all going to step off this platform of this earth and I pray into your everlasting arms. In Jesus' name, amen.